With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. This is uh, Eric Allen, your host for After 9 today. And uh, my guest uh, isn't here at the moment, so we're just going to wing it for a little while, see if she calls in. <laughs> yeah. Was any luck? person I was going to have on is Claudia Pavon, P-A-V-O-N. She's uh, with Cloverfields. Apiaries. Apiaries. That's the word I'm searching for. Yeah. In Vanderhoof, B.C. And she's going to give us a kind of a go around. uh, They're from Argentina and uh, came to Vanderhoof about 15 years ago and been in the bee business ever since. So I'm hoping to get a lot of information on bees and what's going on in uh, that area and how they get about selling it throughout uh, central BC and that type of thing. So that's what we'll be waiting for. And I'm just hoping that uh, she's able to get through. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we'll just have to go on to something else. Uh, later on today, I'm going to have, uh, or this morning, I'm going to have Peter Ewart on. And we'll be talking about uh, basically the food chain on uh, cattle, mm. slaughterhouses, and uh, the like, and I'll get into some detail on how it was done in Prince George in years gone by. Um, I might just hold off on that until we see what happens. Might bring Peter on early if we have to. If we have to, yeah. Yeah, and then the other one will be uh, later after that will be uh, uh, Herb Martin. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the city taxes and uh, the truckers going across the country to Ottawa and what caused that uh, thing to happen. So that's basically the lineup for now. So um, so we're, we're kind of waiting, but now, so we're you're going to be talking with Claudia about um, apiaries, beekeeping, making of honey, selling of honey and everything. What other kinds of things, like, and again, this is something you might be chatting about with, with um, Peter as well later, but... What would, what kinds of foods did people in Prince George make on their own? In no, wrong. Uh, what kind of food did they make on their own? Yeah, like what kind of foods did we used to have up here? Well, you know, we can go back to uh, the late forties when there still was a, a slaughterhouse here in Prince George, and then uh, after the slaughterhouse. Yeah, could you look, could you call us back, please? After the slaughterhouses, the, they went to uh, railing the beef to uh, slaughterhouses in Edmonton, which is kind of interesting because they had to load them on uh, rail cars and uh, they had to feed them along the way. So they used to have anywhere from, say, Terrace this way, they would have a feeding yard maybe in Smithers, a feeding yard in Prince George, another one in Jasper, and... Uh, so they, these cattle had to be unloaded into holding pens along the railway line, and uh, there'd have to be somebody traveling with them, and then they'd have to feed the cattle and then load them back in the cattle car. And I think there were three, three feeding stations that they had to use before they got to Edmonton. So. And then, of course, they went into the slaughterhouses now. Yes, is this Okay, sounds like we got Claudia on the line now, so that's good. Hello, 
Hello. Hello, this is Claudia Pavon. Oh, hi, Claudia. So, hi, how are you? Good, good. I can hear you fine now. If if you happen to have your speakerphone on, you could maybe shut it off. Uh, so say that again? The speakerphone, you don't have it on, eh? Okay. No, no, we don't want it on. No, we don't, we don't, we don't have it on. Oh, okay, good. Okay, Claudia, so <clears throat> I wanted to get into this, uh, the whole bee business sort of thing. And you're the person that can probably explain it to us as well as anybody. So okay. if we can start with, uh, uh, you know, were you in the bee business in uh, Argentina before you came this way? Yes, we live in Argentina. So you had a bee business there. Hold on, could you give us one second here? We're having issues with our headphones. Can you hear me now? Okay, so so in Argentina, did you have, uh, were you in the bee business? We had, uh, in Argentina, uh, the bee business was as a secondary income. Oh, yeah. We, we had like a, pollin- we offered pollination services for people in the valley, in the Patagonia. Oh, yeah. So uh, we reached, we started with 20 colonies and we reached until 150 colonies. And it was mainly thing that we did on the weekends. Oh yeah, uh, in the summertime. So because we had our our works, our regular work. So you moved up to this area 15 years ago. Uh, yeah, we started actually when my older daughter is 18, and we took that course, one year course in Argentina when she was one year old. Hmm. So you're here, for, and did you go out? Did you come straight to Vanderhoof or? We uh, kept bees in Argentina from 2002 until 2012. That was the year that we moved to Canada, and we came directly to Vanderhoof. Hmm. So, what sparked your interest in the Vanderhoof area? <laughs> well, um, I think you know everything was um, like aligned to be here to reach this beautiful town. Oh, yes. um, my husband came first to work in a contract for a beekeeper and after we found a better work, a better job that offered us more opportunities. So he went back home to Argentina, we prepared all our papers, documents, and we moved the whole family to Vanderhoof. Well, it's a beautiful know. area, you know, with a lot of uh, fields that offer enough flower source for the bees. So we found another opportunity to start our business again. Very good. That, uh, yeah, I know. I've been through the back the back roads in the Vanderhoof area, and there's that's really big, uh, big sky farmland back in there. Yeah, yeah. We live in a farm, and our neighbors mostly they um, they have alfalfa fields, you know, for their cows. So it's. It's pretty nice place. People are very conscious about, um, for example, to use any kind of um, uh, treatment like like a fertilizing or pesticide. So, if they will use anything, for example, against the grasshopper, they will uh, give us a head. They will call us before and let us know. So it's a pretty clean area um, with no many residues or any pesticides at all. So. It's a really good relationship we keep with our neighbors. Yeah, so so what you actually produce is, I wrote down a few things like pure honey and rich bee pollen, and uh, then you've got uh, 
honeycomb, bee venom, pollination, and you got pollination services? We have that um, service available once we can reach our goal to have enough beehives. You know, right now we're just focused on the production of honey, bee pollen, beeswax, and we make candles and many other products out of the beeswax, like food drops, for example. So how many hives do you have now? Uh, we put to hibernate 150 colonies. We'll see what happens in the springtime. You know, any winter is different. Mm-hmm. So um, we hope that they all can survive. But usually losing a percentage between uh, 10 and 40% is not unusual here in Canada. Um, so we have been been very lucky to keep our bees alive the last few years. So we'll see what happens in the spring. So 100 and, 150 colonies. So a colony is, is one box? A colony here in Canada uh, usually is two boxes. Oh, I see. We leave, uh, the, the first main box is a lot of a brood, you know, with the bees, the um, um, queen bee, all the water bees. And a few drones that they will be um, get out of the hive in the fall. And the second box, you need to leave a lot of food. So it's almost full of uh, honey. So they can have enough supply to um, have a, 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 win, uh, a good winter. Sorry. Hmm. Okay, so the other thing I was kind of curious about is the... Uh, um, well, you touched on how the weather affects them, and so there is that winter loss. And what, what's the average lifespan of a honeybee? Um, the average of of the, the how many how much they they live? No, yeah, how long they live? Yeah. Um, usually, they will live between forty days to uh, forty five. Uh, between 30 to 45 days in oh, yeah. the middle of the season, so in the summertime. Mm-hmm. But the bees that can't hold into the, the winter, they can live up to six months oh, by right? all the winter time. And after they will leave um, enough time to feed the new generation. So in the springtime, it will be like a renew of, of, of a new generation that will take care of the, the, the next season. We also hear that... Uh or at least I have that these bees can go quite away from uh, from the main hive when they're looking for flowers and that type of thing. Uh, do you have any idea what the how far they actually go? Yes, the books say between three to five miles. But if the bees need to fly away because they don't have um, nectar source available around, uh-huh. they can go even up to eight miles. So. Uh, all depends on the flower source that you have. Usually between three to five miles is, is a good average. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, um, I wanted to sort of touch on your finished product when you have it uh, made. I know you come uh, 52 weeks a year to the Prince George Farmer's Market. Pretty well, if you can make it. You drive every... Uh, every Saturday morning in uh, the winter and during the summer, which is great for us. And also, the you do the farmer's market on Thursday in Vanderhoof uh, during the summer? On Thursdays in Vanderhoof, yes. The farmer's market will start in June here in Vanderhoof. Okay. 
Okay, so we got Vanderhoof in June, and we got Prince George uh, year round. And then uh, I've seen on your website you had the summer fest this summer here in Prince George. Yes, last year we um, we were able to participate in that summer fest. It was great. You know, it's a lot of local farmers, local producers. It's a great opportunity to support local. Um, and there is a wonderful business around in this area. So, and really fresh products, really good quality products. So, we really enjoy to participate in those events. Well, that's good. <clears throat> now, uh, looking again at your website, I've seen some uh, indication like you go to Grand Isle, Smithers. What other areas do you actually go to besides Vanderbilt, Prince George? Uh, we provide some honey in um, a couple of stores. You know, we have um, in Burns Lake, for example, Green Grocer Zone, DTU. Um, there is a lady in Telqua that she buys our products, Rudolf Sausage. Um, they are a great family that they um, they make sausages. Uh, in Prince George, also, you can find our products at Homesteader Health at the Heart or Jolly Market. Um, after you can find our products in Shopperbot in Hickson and in the Caribou Deep Saker in Quenelle. Well, there you go. Yeah, that Quenelle uh, Farmer's Market is the same time as the Prince George one, so unless you got somebody else to go down there, you can't be at two places at once, eh? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, for that reason, we just have this um, uh, participation in the Caribou Deep Saker. Uh, so they take us our products, you know, so they uh-huh. can get some percentage, and we just receive the uh, the rest. Hmm. Okay, so we're getting all kinds of information here. I wonder, um, you know, if you can give us an idea, what what is your best seller, and what's some of the health benefits of uh, eating honey? Well, our best seller right now is our cream honey and the cream with cinnamon honey. People really like cinnamon and they love the cream honey because it's more more versatile. Like you can use it even on tea or your toast. It doesn't crystallize faster as just unpasteurized honey. Um, And the benefits, you know, for example, I remember when we live in Argentina, we used to get... um, had a flu, for example, every change of season, but here for the last 10 years, I barely can count with my hand how many times we we got sick, so I am very grateful to have the chance, you know, to have healthy products. Uh, honey is great if you use it uh, daily. Um, if you take a teaspoon daily, that helps with allergies, uh, that helps to avoid the allergies, to have a better um, immune system, you know, more prepared to any cold. And uh, even if you have sore throat, for example, it heals immediately your 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 throat. So even the beeswax products is great to keep your skin healthy and protect and protected, mm-hmm. especially with these winter conditions. You know, it's, it's very good to have some natural products. Yeah, actually, I started using some last week, so. I see a little bit of a change so far, so we'll just carry on see how it works out. I bought a small jar from you people on, I think, last farmer's market. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so we've covered off on that. 
Uh, are you thinking about expanding your uh, business there, or are you just going to stay kind of where you are? Oh, we would love to expand. You know, the whole family helps in every process in our farm, from pulling labels to preparing the jars, just and maybe, having yeah, honey maybe. or attending the bees. So we would love to expand. Our goal is to reach 500 colonies in the future. So we 500? Yeah, 500. We would love to have that goal in, in about three years. So we can just dedicate full time to our farm. Great. Okay, we're going to take a break here, Claudia, and then we'll be back in a second or two. There's a river of birds in migration, a nation of women with wings. Wings, a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world. Produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Listen for Wings Wednesday nights at 8.30 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Q3 Creative Business Hub is now home to the Q3 Community Market. Saturdays from 8.30 to 2, stop by to check out a wide variety of vendors and the great display of Christmas gift ideas. Homemade crafts, jewelry, unique items, you're going to find products only available at the Q3. Located kitty corner to the Farmer's Market, the Q3 Community Market. Saturdays from 8.30 to 2 in the Q3 Creative Business Hub at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. In Prince George, DDR2 Computer Solutions is your first stop for sales, service, and repairs. Located just off Queensway at 857 2nd Avenue, next to MetaChair, DDR2 can keep your business or home system running at peak performance. Their in-shop and on-site rates are competitive, so you receive quality service at an affordable price. Plus, there's a special rate for seniors. They also carry top-of-the-line laptops, motherboards, and graphics cards for high-end gaming. When you think of computers, think of DDR2. Call 236-423-2216. That's 236. 236- 423-2216. Forecast for Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, clearing early this afternoon. Winds from the south at 20 gusts into 40. A wind chill this morning to minus 10 with a high this afternoon of minus 1. A few clouds tonight. Fog patches developing near midnight. Gusting south winds becoming light this evening. A low of minus 6 with an overnight wind chill to minus 11. For Wednesday, morning fog patches, then mainly sunny. Wind up to 15K. A high of minus 1 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 6. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with uh, Claudia Pavon from Vanderhoof, B.C., the Cloverfields Aperies. I really have trouble with that word. should say beehives. But uh, are you on there, Claudia? Yes, I'm oh, here. Great. Okay, so we had that 500... Uh, Okay, where was I? So you're going to go to 500, what do you call that? Yes, yes. We want to reach that goal in the next three years. Okay, in three years. Now, just I'm kind of curious, as you increase your production and you have more and more of the stuff to uh, sell to your customers, what sort of a... Uh, marketing system or transportation system do you do to get it around and and maybe also just touch on uh, the work that's required just you know on a daily basis to produce this honey well yes it's a really demanding work especially in the summer usually our season starts uh, in April you start to do some preparations 
and the season goes until October. That is the last time that we check on our bees. We treat them and we just wrap them and wait for them to survive. So, um, yeah, it's very demanding work from preparing the colonies, splitting them. Uh, we also raise our own queen bees. Um, and, yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of work uh, moving the apiaries. You know, when you, for example, raise a new queen bee and you want to split your colonies, uh, the mini colony, we'll call that, the mini family, you need to um, put it away at least three miles so they don't return to the mother colony. Oh, so okay. we have, like, five different places here in town. When we uh, move our colonies, uh, usually in June, and after that, when we harvest the honey at the end of July, beginning of August, we move back all the colonies to my place so we can take care of them. That's a big job. It's a lot of work, yes. And usually the moving are in the night because uh, you will be sure that all the bees are inside the, the box. The oh, yes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, usually we work really late until one day we were working until 2 in the morning, uh, moving back the colonies to home, you know, and yeah. Um, all the family works together, even if they are just, you know, serving some tea for us or they are just helping to wrap the colonies. Uh, it's really fun. Uh, it's demanding, it's hard work, but it, it's really fun to do it as a family. Well, that's great. That uh, so you have three daughters; they all help out. Yes, we have our two daughters, uh, two daughters. Like 18, 15, and my younger boy is just ten, so he just do some simple, simple job, you know, simple work that oh, yeah. doesn't require too much effort. So now down around uh, Vanderhoof, there I mentioned earlier, there's lots of land there, and I understand that a lot of the uh, there's a lot of clover grown there for uh, haymaking. Uh, and for export to China, actually, to the dairy farms in China. And uh, so I suppose that's that works in your benefit. Hello? Hello? You still there, Claudia? Hello. I'm thinking we may have lost Claudia somewhere along the lines. Yeah, maybe we have. Yeah. Can we maybe try her? Um, I can give it a quick try. Hang on. We just talk about something, Eric. Yeah, so while Alan's trying to get Claudia back on the line there, I was just going to ask her about, uh, you know, whether or not that... Uh, all the clover that's being grown in that area, whether it uh, works in her favor. So, because of those bees fly, flying around, they, they're obviously going to be able to access it. So, but, uh, and also I want to get a little more information out on uh, on the labor and the distribution of, uh, of uh, you know, have we got her? Still trying Hello, to get her. Hello, Claudia. Oh, it doesn't look like we've got her. No, I thought we had her, but I thought we had her, but there is nobody on this line apparently. So um, I am thinking, Eric, maybe 
we'll go to the break a little bit early, and I will get in touch with Peter. Yeah, that's what we'll have to do. Go to a break okay. and uh, get a hold of Peter. And maybe if we can get a hold of her later, we'll just say goodbye, wrap it up. Advocate Life and Education Services is focusing on hope. By becoming a Champion for Hope, you will help provide hope as an alternative year-round. A Champion for Hope fights for women and families in need and are the backbone of Advocate's important work. Your monthly gift allows them to advocate for the most vulnerable members of our society while bringing hope-focused support to families facing life-altering choices. Visit advocate.ca to become a Champion for Hope today. Life Sciences BC's next McCarthy Spotlight Speaking Series presentation is on oncology. Featuring five speakers from the different aspects of the life sciences sector, the virtual event is slated for Thursday from 3 to 4. Free for members, $25 for non-members. Tickets and full details are available through the calendar link under events at lifesciencesbc.ca. Life Sciences BC's McCarthy Spotlight Speaker Series, Oncology, Thursday from 3 to 4 via Zoom. The BC Schizophrenia Society has launched its Cannabis and Mental Health video. The video centers around questions regularly asked by youth across the province about cannabis, including the impact of cannabis on the brain and how it may affect those at risk of developing a serious mental illness. Visit bcss.org to watch the Cannabis and Mental Illness video, go through the resources, and find out how you can help share this information with the youth in your life. Before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought all the people that I knew who didn't drink were self-righteous people, holier than thou. So it never occurred to me that Alcoholics Anonymous was filled with people who had drank like I did, and now were the same people that I used to drink with. The same people that I liked, only now they weren't drinking. They were people just like me who had been drinking for a long time and found out that it didn't work for them anymore. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back online, and uh, we've got Peter Urit on. We're going to jump from bees to beef, and uh, <clears throat> Peter and I will try to explain how the beef industry used to work in this area and how it's sort of working today. Just before I get into that, I want to thank Claudia for being on. We lost her again online, and... Uh, but really appreciated having her on and all the information she was able to give us. And there's still some information there that we'll pick up on maybe in another interview with her, maybe a month down the road. So, Peter, uh, I think to get into this, I can give a quick overview of, of the way that the beef industry was handled in Prince George when I was younger. And that was in the, after the Second World War to, say, the late 40s. There was a slaughterhouse in Prince George, and beef was brought here and slaughtered and distributed. After that, they went to sending it in cattle cars uh, by rail to Edmonton. The cattle cars, of course, are slats so that they're open to the weather. And, of course, in the fall, it gets pretty cold in those cars. But they also had feeder stations about three along the line, and and somebody would have to travel with the cattle. And they would stop at Smithers, Prince George, Jasper, unload the cattle, feed them, load them back into rail cars, and then carry on until they got to the uh, yards in uh, Edmonton. Now, interestingly enough, after they were slaughtered and butchered, they were sent back, at least the portion that's coming back to Prince George was sent back in refrigerated uh, rail cars, 
on meat hooks, and they would come into Prince George to the CN on First Avenue. They'd unload the rail cars, load them on trucks, and uh, take them to the different, uh, uh, what do you call it, those meat shops. I just lost it there. No, it's, uh, what is it, Peter? Butcher shop? Yeah, butcher shop. That's the word I'm looking for. Where else would you take your butchered pride? <laughs> anyway, they go to the butcher shop, and they would butcher it all up, and you could go right into the shop and buy whatever meat you want, fresh, uh, and it's behind the counter there, and you pick out what you want, and they'd weigh it out and sell it to you, and away it went. Over the years, as you got into bigger and bigger stores, and they had their own uh, butchers in the stores, and that, of course, that changed. The little butcher shops shut down, and, and the bigger ones... Uh, carried on and then now we're in a situation where most of the butchering is back in Edmonton and being packaged and then coming back to Prince George and and sold in the various stores so a lot of changes there we did have one other butcher shop that was out on the old Summit Lake Road a number of years ago but that didn't last too long and what we're into now is uh, farmers or somebody who wants to sell their product say at the farmer's market or something, they have to take it to a certified butcher, which is the one that we have here is, I think they call it Shawana, uh, not butchers, but slaughterhouse. And they're on the old Caribou Highway and uh, Highway 97 on the uh, up on the corner there. So you have to take them there and then it gets certified. If you don't, if you take it, say, to Shalako on Highway 16 West, he can cut it up for you and everything, but you can't sell it to the public. You have to uh, basically just for self-consumption. So lots of changes. And so now uh, you're going to give us a, sort of an insight into what it looks like for a future of the cattle industry. Well, yeah, Eric, um, you know, like the situation you're describing, right, that used to exist and all that, well, yeah, it's... Uh, it's passed away, right? We have a situation with the, uh, you know, beef industry, the the red meat industry, uh, where you have domination by uh, a few very very huge companies, oligopolies, you might want to call them, right? And um, these uh, oligopolies are are global corporations, uh, and um, what they've done is that they've um, centralize a lot of the production, right? You know, so like you, you get production in Alberta and Ontario and whatever, but the uh, smaller production that used to exist across the country has been uh, scooped up and concentrated in these uh, oligopolies. And the problem is, of course, that um, uh, you have a situation whereby the uh, uh, ranchers are in a lot of trouble these days. Uh, you know, m- many of them going bankrupt or uh, unable to make a profit or whatever and all this. And on the other hand, you have um, consumers who are paying beef prices three times the rate of inflation. But then when you look in the middle, like who's controlling the whole thing, or you have these oligopolies like Cargill and, and others, uh, they're the ones who are making record profits. So here you have the, the ranchers, the producers, in, in deep trouble, you have the consumers in in trouble, not able to buy the the, the beef. But then you have the uh, these oligopolies, these globalized companies, um, making this huge profit. 
So, you know, the, the critical thing is, is that this is an um, unstable kind of situation, right? You know, like where now, like, it's almost as if you go and buy a steak, it's like buying a, a, an ounce of gold or whatever, right, in terms of the price. And um, we have to be looking at, you know, what, what is the future, like, in terms of, uh, you know, building the, the country of Canada, you know, like one of the things that's really necessary is you have to have an all-rounded economy, you know, one the one that, um, you know, distributes food throughout the country and uh, which is not subject to um, monopoly interest, you know, because the problem with when you have these uh, huge monopolies, these oligopolies, is that uh, it's very hard for smaller producers to actually get, get a foot uh, in the door, right, because uh, all they have to do, the big guys, is uh, lower the prices uh, below cost for, you know, a, a few months or a year or whatever and all this and drive the other out of business. And then once the others are out, of, the small guys are out of business, then drive the prices up again. You know, so we're, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, a problem that's got many features to it. Another problem, of course, too, is that uh, a large amount of our meat processing machinery is actually produced abroad. You know, uh, the, the vast majority of it, you know, which is not a good situation, right? You know, you want to have your own machine building industry in your own country, right? So you don't get caught. But, um, you know, that's the situation that, uh, that, that, we've, that we're facing right now. Like, and people are seeing it, like when they go to the store and the, the price of beef and the shortage of beef and uh, these other kinds of problems. So it's, uh, it's a big issue, but it's... Um, I think that there's solutions, but it's a, it's about uh, you know the the workers workers in the meat packing industry. Uh, anyway, they face really difficult conditions. You know, like the uh, like the Cargill um, company down in uh, southern Alberta. There, uh, you know, you had almost a thousand uh, of the workers working there got COVID-19, right? You know, so. Yeah, the work is dangerous kind of work. So I, what, I'm, what I think is that we need uh, sort of a coming together of ranchers, workers, consumers, and so on, you know, to uh, develop situations and, and restrictions on the monopolies. Okay, Peter, I'll just, uh, we'll just hold it there, go for a break, and then we'll pick it up there. The Artist Co-op Workshop and Gallery have a host of winter classes set for January, February, and March. Acrylic, watercolor, pencil, oil, or ink. Whatever the medium, the Artist Co-op has the class for you. Prices depend on the number of students, and all students must comply with COVID restrictions. New members are welcome, and gift certificates are available. The Artist Co-op Workshop and Gallery Winter Classes. For registration and more information, call 250-962-0030. Prince George Public Library has partnered with BCNet, a shared services organization to offer the education roaming service. This makes it possible for students, faculty, and staff to seamlessly connect to their post-secondary wireless internet network from public library branches. Our public library is the first in BC to offer the Edu Room service. It's the latest move for the library to close the gap in access to to information as BCNet continues to expand EDU Rome free Wi-Fi service for higher education and research. 
My therapist had told me that I needed to go to AA meetings, but I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. That was not what I wanted to grow up and be. I didn't want to go to AA, but I did, and it wasn't what I expected by any means. It was friendly. I could feel it. I mean, I could feel the happiness. It's really great. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, clearing early this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20 gusts into 40, a wind chill this morning to minus 10 with a high this afternoon of minus 1. A few clouds tonight, fog patches developing near midnight, gusting south winds becoming light this evening, a low of minus 6 with an overnight wind chill to minus 11. For Wednesday, morning fog patches, then mainly sunny, wind up to 15K, a high of minus 1 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 6. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back with Peter Urit, and we're talking about the uh, beef industry and, well, really worldwide, but primarily we're concerned with what's going on here in, in Prince George's area, and, of course, we're affected by what goes on in Alberta, etc. So if you just want to pick up where you were there, Peter, on you were saying that these different groups have to get together and come up with a better model? Uh, yeah, like the, you know, like the, the whole question, I know like the farmers in the U.S. are raising the issue of, you know, breaking up the corporate monopolies, right? Uh, uh, creating a different model, you know, that, uh, you know, because the, how it's all working right now is that you have this, you know, beef industry, which is a very important part of the food sector. Uh, you know, like you have the whole industry, you have the, the workers, the ranchers, you know, and then there's the consumers and all this, like, uh, they're, they're operating in the interests of um, these big super monopolies, the small handful of super monopolies, right? And we have to turn that around, right, and have it so that these uh, super monopolies are restricted in what they do and that they serve the overall interests of the nation, the province, and, and the communities. You know, so I know um, farmers in the U.S. and I, I think some in Canada have raised the issue of uh, we have to find ways to break up these monopolies and develop new mechanisms and new ways in which to uh, distribute and price the foods, you know, the the meats. Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, you know, it's uh, it kind of ties in with the feed industry for cattle, and that ties into the seed industry and. You know, but the government does have some responsibilities. We we should have a self-supporting food source within the country, and we should and are supposed to have legally uh, sufficient seeds and storage to last us if we ever get into a catastrophic situation. So, I don't know where those situations sit today, but every time I see one of these situations where you know, the supply chain is stretched out over thousands of miles and there's nothing in between if something goes wrong. That's not a good situation. <clears throat> there's not going to be food available at certain times like we're experiencing right now, breakdown in trucking industry. and uh, But, you know, even more than that, there's no jobs. And, and I, I just fail to see how we can run an economy or a country without any jobs. And every time I turn around, there's more jobs being taken out. You know, whether it's uh, five corn binders or wheat binders or whatever you call them on the prairies where there used to be 300 people working or five sawmills in the interior where there used to be 25 or, you know, no matter what area you look at, uh, the supply line is extended. You know, the product may come from 
overseas or something or, or Indochina or something and it comes into BC but there's nothing in between and uh, so how do we survive yeah very much so you know like and it, it makes it vulnerable like when you have uh, you know this production concentrated in a few places you know like in a vast country like you're saying you know like all kinds of things can happen you know like and we saw this with the the pandemic, you know, just how uh, easily these uh, global supply chains are broken. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to see more of this probably in the future, whether it's uh, pandemics or war or, or, or whatever, right? Uh, you're going to see these kinds of interruptions. And uh, in that kind of circumstance, it makes sense that uh, you would have uh, communities and provinces and, 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 and countries being more self-sufficient like it's not against uh, global trade but first and foremost you got to deal with your own country your own people right in terms of um, how you lay out the uh, production and uh, where you situate uh, production you in a in a way that is uh, it's, it's spread across the country not just concentrated in a few places you know because of um, you know the supply chain disruption you know, like they're saying right now that the, the, the cause of the, uh, uh, the price increases, which is going three times faster than inflation for beef, uh, they're saying it's because of supply chain disruption and that, and that there's a prairie drought. And, and then they add COVID-19 there. But one thing that often doesn't get mentioned in all this is the fact that who's setting these prices? It's these big oligopolies that are setting these prices and making huge windfall profits while everyone else is suffering. Yeah, that seems to be the case with whatever commodities goes in short supply. But, you know, and, and even, uh, in my opinion, like with gas as an example, the price, the price goes up at the pumps, but the federal government uh, makes more money when the price goes up. So that, to me, that's a simple conflict of interest. Uh, government shouldn't be making more money when people are having problems. Uh, paying for something so uh, there's so many different things out there that we don't we just don't have time to look at them as individuals like if we wanted to have our own beef uh, industry here I, I don't see how we could do it I think we need those big slaughterhouses to some degree in in Edmonton but we also need the smaller ones and but then if you don't have any industry here you don't have any skilled people so now we're getting in a situation where a lot of the skilled people don't exist anymore, and I understand that there's a, a real shortage of qualified butchers in this country now. So pretty soon we won't have anybody even knows how to butcher beef. Well, yeah, like well, they brought in the mass production, you know, which, which sort of did away with the butcher profession because it put, made assembly lines where uh, you, you have hundreds of workers standing on these assembly lines and just maybe doing one cut or, or one one process of the meat as the, as the meat goes by on the assembly line, right? You know, so you have the diminishing of, uh, you know, of the, of the skills, you know, the butchering skills and, and, and so on, right? So, and, and of course you also have, um, you know, there's a very dangerous job, uh, you know, the way that modern production is with this assembly line for, for the people work there you know you, you get the rate of the rate of injury is way higher than uh the rest of manufacturing okay peter we'll kind of leave that one there and I, i'm sure we'll be going back to it and uh thanks for coming on and we'll be talking to you later thanks eric bye now bye
the Prince George Symphony Orchestra's next kinder concert is Morris the Moose, Sunday, February 6th, in UNBC's Canfor Theatre. Kinder concerts are a great opportunity to help your youngster discover the wonders of classical music. Tickets are only available online through the subscriptions and tickets link at pgso.com. While there, please review their COVID protocols on the health and safety page. Then enjoy the next Kinder concert, Morris the Moose, from your Prince George Symphony Orchestra, Sunday, February the 6th at 2 in UNBC's Canfor Theatre. Spring break camps are ready to roll at Two Rivers Gallery. Students grades 1 through 7 are invited for a week of fun art inspired by Irish history or examine homes, shelters, and lifestyles through art during spring break. Sign up for one or both of the week-long creativity camps. Registration and full details are available at Two Rivers Gallery. Spring break creativity camps. Remember Ireland and remember home March 14th through 25th at Two Rivers Gallery where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship is March 19th to 27th at CN Centre. Full event, championship weekend, opening weekend, and Monday to Thursday single-day packages are all available for purchase online through curling.ca and at the CN Centre box office. All fans, athletes, volunteers, and event staff will need to provide proof of full vaccination. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship, March March 19th to 27th at CN Center. My life was going downhill fast. Everybody was on my case. Now, I kept hoping that life would change real soon. I knew drinking too much messed up my life. A friend suggested I check out AA. It worked. I found myself in an AA group. Finally, I've got my act together. Visit AA.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and now we have Herb Martin on here, and we're going <clears> to <throat> do a little talking about city budget, uh, increase in taxes, and uh, the trucker situation, the truck, truckers heading for uh, Ottawa and Convoy. I think uh, you're there, are you, Herb? Yep, yep, right here. Okay, I think maybe we'll do the city thing first, just to sort of get into it. Um, city's looking for, I think, a 6.5% increase in taxes, and part of that is policing costs. I didn't get a chance to really look into it, uh, the meetings that they had yesterday. but Actually, there, there was some good news, actually. The um, looks like there's uh, $3 bucks left over from the Safe Restart uh, funding from the province. Uh, that they haven't touched, and there's another three million uh, surplus from uh, last year. So they did some quick uh, calculations, and they figured that um, they could, from six and a half percent, they could decrease it to about a three percent increase, and that would require about four million bucks. So hopefully that um, that translates into some real numbers, and uh, that you know that three percent increase, I think people will be. Uh, We'll be happy with compared to uh, well, almost double that or double that, uh, which previously um, proposed. So, uh, well, there used to be an old uh, an old trick that was used by different uh, bargaining units or something. You know, you ask for ten percent, you settle for five, and <laughs> and the person uh, getting to five is figures that's a really good deal. Everybody forgets that they were asking for ten, so. 
Uh, you know, this is uh, the headline in the, the citizen there says city council is RCMP superintendent clash over policing costs. So we might get through it this year and then we'll have a different set of circumstances next year. But the same, the pr- same problem will be there. Now, if they're going to use this surplus money, the, the, I guess the other question is, are they going to continue to, to, uh, cut a million dollars out of the budget or whatever it was they were uh, from the police budget or are they just going to forget about that i, I think there they, there's no real way around um, the uh, police uh, budget they're they're going to have to deal with that uh, i mean Corey ramsey was uh, throwing around some numbers on her twitter account saying that uh, maybe prince george could uh, run its own police force and save some money but um, yeah i think uh, that's that's probably a non-starter but uh, the, the interesting thing, she, Corey Ramsey was interviewed on CBC yesterday, and um, she she really took offense at being asked about the um, at the uh, parking uh, lot uh, fiasco uh, downtown. And um, uh, you know, I think uh, you know maybe with a little she she feels she's ambushed by that question. But um, you know, it, it's a fair question, and the 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 the, uh, the whole focus of. Uh, City Council is to renovate downtown, and, and uh, by by use of high uh, high octane uh, real estate projects, and you know maybe they should start looking at that again, at that whole focus, and instead maybe uh, start uh, looking at uh, developing some real estate uh, on the edges of town, and uh, and lowering lowering um, real estate costs because it's getting um, getting ridiculous. Uh, People can't afford uh, a, new, a new house anymore, and that's something uh, Prince George could take advantage of. It, we have we have plenty of land around Prince George. Uh, if it was developed, um, you know, you could increase the tax base. You could imp- bring more people into town, and um, you know, lower some of these crazy house prices that we, we've seen around here. Well, you know, uh, she might have felt ambushed by that question, but uh, so I guess the question is: Had she been told that they were going to ask that question, would she still have come on and answered it? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of get the sense that not too many people in City Hall want to talk about that uh, park gate at all. And, and they're actually operating under the uh, misconception that it's all forgotten about and everything's fine and there's nothing to see here, folks. Let's carry on. Uh, I don't think that's true at all. Everybody I talk to say that uh, they're still very upset about what took place there and they want some answers. And I'll go further than that and say that uh, councillors shouldn't be waiting for somebody to ask them a question. They should be coming forward and telling us what's really going on with that project. It's a, it's a thing that uh, we're paying for and we need to know. And it's basically, we're entitled to that information. And it's sort of like, you know, lifting up the corner of the rug and putting all the dust under there and dropping the rug and saying, yeah, it looks pretty good in here. Well, just don't lift up the rug. So what I'm going to get into now, just to give you an example of how that works, is um, a while back the RCMP mentioned that I think over 50% of the cases that they give to the Crown Prosecutor uh, are never carried forward. And... uh, so, actually, it's higher than that, I think. So, 
what happens is if, if they go out and arrest somebody for some charge and then they, they write it all up and that, they give it to the Crown Prosecutor, he looks at it and he says, I don't think I can get a conviction on this, and he throws it out. He doesn't take it any further than that. <clears throat> now, you extrapolate that and get, you know, maybe two or 3,000 or 1,500 charges that go out every year, but, uh, you know, they're all written up by, by city staff and by the RCMP thousands of man hours taken to put this to the crown prosecutor and then there's no action taken on it so how many times do we have to keep doing this before we start looking for a different way of doing it i mean that's just a total waste of time and effort i mean we could it's just beyond me the uh i'll just give you an, an example here just it says on arrest it says if if police decide there's enough evidence to recommend to crown counsel that charges be laid police may decide to arrest you once arrested you may be held in custody temporarily or until your court date trial in most cases you will be released until your trial uh not charged. You will not be charged if police decide not to recommend charges or if Crown Counsel determines there is not enough evidence to prove you are guilty of committing a crime. If you are not charged, no further steps are taken and you will have, not have a criminal record. While police may recommend charges in B.C., Crown Counsel makes a decision about whether charges will be laid and what the charges will be. Crown Counsel will lay charges against you if there's a substantial likelihood of conviction, if the public interest requires a prosecution. So that basically gives the Crown Counsel, you know, and, and I'm not saying that they're not entitled to have that, Authority, but say we're not going to charge this, we're not going to charge that. But at the same time, we have a police officer, maybe two, plus a, a support staff on city payroll that goes through the motions of writing up all these charges, sending them all to the prosecutor, and then have them gone. I don't know if there's a better way, but I'll tell you, that's a very expensive way of doing it if there's not going to be any charges. Now, in a small town like Prince George, and, uh, you know, we have... Uh, uh, records of everybody that's been charged uh, we know who the repeat offenders are, we hear police saying all the time that these people are known to police, we should be able to come up with another way of doing this what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean uh, maybe, uh, you know, working with some of the um, native communities and, and doing some uh, traditional justice from them, on their uh, you know, hand it over to them for, for, for some uh, repeat offenders uh, that, that might be a possibility, uh, but uh, yeah, that's I don't know if that's a discussion for the city or not. But um, uh, that's maybe something that should be thought about for sure. Well, we get we get caught in this thing where we pay the uh, the cost, or ninety percent of the cost of the RCMP, but the province can dictate to us uh, what we can do and what we can't do. It's the same old thing. If if in fact there's no way around this, then the city should be going out to the province to pick up the cost of all this and take it off our cost because we've paid our taxes, we paid the police to do their job, lay the charges, and if the province doesn't want to go any further with it, then they should be paying the cost for anything they don't want to prosecute. Well, it's worth a shot. 
It'll never happen. <laughs> it's just a nice scenario, but it's not going to happen. But but we have lots of these situations where we're paying big money for services, but we're not getting anything. Yeah, and, uh, sure. And that's just another increase in taxes. So, you know, it's a three percent increase in taxes sounds fine until you find out what your gas is going up for, what uh, your car. Well, your car insurance probably won't go up this year, but you have other charges going up. So, no, I think taxes have to. They have to stop altogether. And in order to do that, they have to find a new way of doing things. And it's yeah. not. You know, all corporations can tell you how to cut costs. Just ask the question. Well, that, that sort of brings us back to the old, to the to the fundamental question that uh, that Peter was talking about. Now, you know, our supply chains, and uh, you know, uh, the whole issue of efficiency versus resiliency, and uh, you know, maybe we have to start doing things the old-fashioned way. But uh, another another example of the, how vulnerable our supply chains are the this trucker convoy to uh, to Ottawa. So, you know, is that a freedom rally or is it a Karen convoy? Uh, you know, that's, uh, it's, there's a pretty good discussion there, but, um, uh, you know, 75 to 90 percent of these truckers are now vaccinated. You got, um, a small minority that are pretty vocal and, uh, they're willing to, uh, uh, you know, put, put the rest of society at uh, some risk of, uh, empty store shelves and, um, Okay, Herb, I guess I gotta, I'm gonna have oh. to, uh, Cut you off. I took most of your time. Okay. <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep this one on the back burner. We'll bring it up again. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week, uh, Tuesday morning. And I'm going to have the a number of people from Prince George Golf and Curling Club on. And we'll talk about all the various things taking place there and what people can do. Uh, lots of interesting things at the PG Golf and Curling Club. Some of them I didn't even know were there. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM, proudly supported by local businesses like Simba Motors, number 24, 1839 First Avenue.